from the Xfinity Studios at WVON. We're your original social media. The Talk of Chicago, 1690 WVON. WVON family, and thank you for sharing your Sunday with us. This is WVON 1690 AM, the talk and the top of Chicago. I am Jean Strasberg, producer and co-host of the, I'm sorry, I'm producer and host of the, on the case, and my co-host is none other than my best friend, one of my best friends, Kent Hunley, publisher of the 316 magazine, and I am editor-in-chief of that magazine, which is now 10 years old. Kent, I can't believe it's been 10 years. Yeah, those 10 years went by fast, Shanta. And um, again, thank you uh, for having me as, a, as your co-host on, on the case. It's only because I trust you. Wow, our call you. is uh, Our call-in number is 312-374-8130. Again, that's 312-374-8130. And your comments and questions are always welcome. I would like to thank our sponsor, Dr. Zenobia Sowell. She is located at 1122 North Clark Street, where she has been for several decades. Her office looks like the United Nations, and she has the latest dental equipment. More important, Dr. Sowell uh, doesn't hurt. Trust me, she does not hurt you. To make an appointment, call 312-944-9355. And I would like to thank uh, Pastor Michael Eady, pastor of People's Church of the Harvest, for allowing the Rainbow Push Coalition to broadcast live from his West Side Church. He has a beautiful church and a lovely wife. It was an awesome broadcast. Check out my Facebook page, uh, Pastor Edie, and to see all that uh, went on yesterday. Share it with all your, your friends. Reverend Jackson is holding his next live TV broadcast on November 9th at the New Mount Pilgrim Missionary Baptist Church, 4301 West Washington Boulevard. And that's headed by Reverend Dr. Marshall Hatch. We are celebrating Veterans Day. So if you are a veteran, won't you please join Reverend Jackson next Saturday at 9.30 a.m. Again, that's 4301 West Washington Boulevard. Also, if you are a student with student loans, we want Reverend Jackson wants you to bring your student loans to this broadcast. And because uh, we're going we're gonna to fight back about these loans that are really ruining the lives of our children. Our children, we send them to college, and they come back burdened with 300000 and $100,000 and $50,000 debt. It takes them forever to pay that off. And, you know, it's interesting because A. Wayne Johnson, Trump administration official, resigned, and he called the massive student debt forgiveness a, a sham. It's crazy, he said. And uh, he says that we should uh, forgive those debts, and that's what Reverend Jackson is fighting for, either to reduce or forgive. Preferably, I, I prefer forgive the debt. I agree, Shanta. Forgive the debt because people, as you mentioned, um, have um, went to school, got the education, now they can't find a job to pay off their debt. Right. You know. So the, the next broadcast is, uh, again, November 9th at 4301 West Washington, 930 a.m., and then on November 16th, we're going to be at 
Reverend Dr. L. Bernard Jakes Church, that's West Point Baptist Church, 3566 South Cottage Grove Avenue at 9.30 a.m. And again, bring your student debt and help us fight for you. Uh, it's important. The fight is on to end student loans. Our condolences go out to the families of the late Representative Elijah Cummings and retired Representative John Conyers. We are glad that the teacher strike is over, but there must be communications between the mayor and CPS so that this won't ever happen again. What about the children? They should come first. Trump is threatening to start his own news outlet. Can you believe that, Kent? To counter his arch-media enemy, CNN, after CNN refused to run his ad that contained lies about Biden and his son. And, you know, I thought Twitter was enough, Shanta. He tweets, he tweets every day. Well, maybe every second he tweets. And that's his, I thought that was his broadcast. Do you think he's drunk when he does that? I think he, um, he got something going on. Like mentally ill. Right, something going on there. <laughs> the impeachment hearings are zipping along, and Trump is getting a lot more nervous because it is becoming crystal clear that quid quo pro was involved with the president of Ukraine. Allegedly, Trump withheld money for the Ukraine until the president agreed to dig up dirt on Biden and his son, Hunter. We have uh, in the studio uh, Catherine Seabrooks. Uh, she's an a cappella gospel singer. And Denise Jones, she's author of Who Said It Couldn't Be Done? Welcome to On the Case. Thank you. All right. So um, can you sing for us? Sure. What are you going to sing for us? I'm going to sing Somebody Bigger Than You and I. Okay. Who made the mountain? Who made the trees? Who made the river? To flow, flow to the sea. And who hung the moon in the starry sky? Somebody bigger than you and I. He lights the way when the road is long and keeps me company with love to guide me he walks beside me just like he walks with you when i am weary filled with despair who gives me courage to go go from there and who gives me faith that will never die? Somebody bigger, somebody bigger, somebody bigger than you and I. And that was Catherine Seabrooks. Thank you so much. And then we also have in the studio Denise Jones, author of Who Said It Couldn't Be Done. So tell us about you, Ms. Jones. Yes. My name, first of all, I would like to say thank you all for having me on the show. You're welcome, Denise. And I am the author of the book titled Who Said It Couldn't Be Done, a book of distress, uh, poverty, drugs, incest, molestation, criminal activities, dropping out of school into later going back, getting a master's degree and writing this book titled Who Said It Couldn't Be Done 
as I uh, started off talking about the lifestyle of growing up on Chicago's west side in uh, Rockwell Garden and being involved in drugs, incest, crime, dropping out of school. So uh, the entire family was almost destroyed by drugs. And so today the family has been restored. And that's what brought about the book, Who Said It Couldn't Be Done. Now, whose family is this you're talking about? I'm talking about my family. Your family? Yes. Which neighborhood did you grow up in? On Chicago's west side. Uh, which neighborhood, though? North Lawndale or? Part of North, part of North Lawndale, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So how did you, how is the family now? Is it the family stable now? Yes, it is. And how did you get to that point? It all started with my mother, uh, who's here in the studio with us today. She was involved in drugs. She was the one that introduced the, the family into drugs. And it took her getting her life together in order for us to have the opportunity to change our lives. That's awesome. That's awesome. Can you um, give us your name? Give us your name. My name is Annie. Your last name? Freeman. Okay. And this is your daughter, and and she said that you were in drugs. How did how did you get into drugs? Well, at a early age in my life, at an early age in my life, mm-hmm. that if I can think back, about the age of uh, three, I was molested by my father, oh. and I began to grow up. And I never would tell anyone concerning uh, the experience I had at that early age. Mm -hmm. And as I began to grow up into my teen life, I had went off into the uh, drug life, got messed up with the wrong crowd. And by me having children, Denise was my oldest uh, child out of five at that time that I had. And we used to begin to grow up as sisters and brothers mm-hmm. by me being young when I had her. I was about 13 years old when I had her. Wow. And by us growing up together, along with the other siblings in the family, uh, Denise used to all the time want to do what she seen her mother do. And not knowing that it was going to destroy her life, uh, with me on the drugs. I had invited her in one time with me to watch me do the drugs, thinking that she would not uh, do what she see me do. What kind of drugs were you te- were you on? Well, I was on heroin, cocaine, teas and blues. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, back there then, you know, douges. They, you know, uh, drinking cough syrup, dropping all kind of pills. So what kind of pain were you trying to to get rid of? Well, you know, uh, it's something you said, uh, you're saying now about what kind of pain. You know, I didn't look at it as uh, me being in no pain. It was just a thing uh, looking for love, being love star. You know, and being molested at that age by my father, then I began to go out seeking for that love that I wanted from my father. But as I was seeking for it, I was seeking in the wrong places. 
That's understandable. Did you ever tell the police about what your father did? Well, no, because as a child, mm -hmm. you know, in your mind, you didn't know how to articulate that thing that happened to you. What about your mom? Uh, it wasn't the idea of me telling her I was fearful of saying mm -hmm. what my father did because I didn't know how to express myself with that. You know, at that young of an age, you know, you're, you're not looking or it don't ring a bell in your mind to run and tell mama. How long did it go on? Well, I say that went on, I was what, about, say about uh, five years old, going to my father's house. And it might have went on about a couple of years. Uh, it was along with me, my sister, and my baby brother, mm -hmm. and we would go to my father's house to spend the weekend, on the weekends. And uh, that Monday morning, we would get up and uh, catch the bus and come back and meet my mother over on the west side, and she would take my sister next to me to school, because I was about six years old, well, which five years old. I wasn't old enough to go to school. And... Uh, I carried that thing with me all the way up into my adult uh, life, you know, growing up. That's there. understandable. And I wouldn't, you know, express or tell anyone that. And it was just one day, you know, that uh, uh, God sent a person my way. And uh, I was, you know, high in the back of Rockwell Projects, getting high. And... Uh, this person came up to me and said, woman, said, don't you know God love you? So I didn't really know what she was talking about. And I told her, I said, well, you know what? I say, uh, why are you bothering me like this? You know, I'm out here with my friends. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, constantly get high. Then I might have been, I mean, you know, up in my early 30s when that uh, was presented to me. And... Uh, as she began to speak to me concerning that God loved me, I didn't realize what position I was putting myself in. But what I was doing, I was trying to get her away from me. So I told her, I said, well, what do you want me to do? She said, I want you to go to church with me. So she invited me out, and I went with her. And on that note, by me going and I accepted God in my life, then my life began to change by me going, and I'm sitting, I'm listening at the Word, and everything that I was caught up in in my life, that Word began to knock my head off, And which my children's during that time, they wasn't there during that time. But as, you know, life began to grow on, and my, sister, uh, my children seen that I had gave my life mm -hmm. to God, then... My oldest daughter, Denise, she came along behind me. Well, which the lady that introduced herself to me had uh, stayed next door to us. And my daughter was taking her back and forth to church before I ever went. And not knowing that, you know, and not knowing it was going to put a hold on her, you know, with me changing my life, then that began to pull her in, and that began to pull the other family in. 
So transformation is possible through Christ. Oh, yes, it is. That's the only way. Mm-hmm. The now, you sound way. like a preacher. I mean, God is blessing. I'm an evangelist. That is beautiful. Evangelist that is an Annie. awesome story. Yes, right. Amen. So, Denise, how, when did you begin to change? It was in uh, July 6, 1986. Mm-hmm. And what happened? I was sitting in my mother's garage one day, and I had been smoking crack cocaine and uh, shooting heroin. And I was sitting there, I said, I am tired of living like this. It has to be a way out. And I knew that she had changed her life. I said, let me go to this place where she went and see if the same thing can happen for me. Because I know how bad off she was. You know, laying out in the ground, uh, just beat down, just just in a bad way. Mm-hmm. And I went one day, and I heard the very words that she heard. Denise, you don't have to continue to live like this. God has a calling on your life. Why die like this? And at that time, salvation was presented to me. I accepted it. So from 1986 to this day, it has been 33 years since I shot drugs. Awesome. Congratulations. Congratulations. Well, we've, Jim has been on the line. Let's take Jim. Jim, are you there? Yes, I'm here. How are you? Fine. How are you? I want to say God bless these people in your studio. <clears throat> I, too, was a high school dropout. My friends would come over, smoke some doobies, do talk trash, listen to music, and back then, minimum wage was 2 bucks an hour, and I guess I was lucky because my dad had a friend that had a Jaguar. And back then, in the 60s, a fancy sports car was about $10,000, and the family stand was about four. So I'm working at Shakey's Pizza, making 2 bucks an hour, scratching my head and saying, hmm, 2 bucks an hour, $10,000 for a car. I don't think it's going to happen this way because I'm kind of being stuck on stupid. So I went back, and I finished high school in four and a half years, and then I met some guys in dental school and they said if you want to get in dental school you have to do good on your gpa and you have to do well on your entrance exams because back then hiv was just three letters in the alphabet so there was a lot of competition to get in the medical fields back then so anyways um you know i i took that to heart and i listened and i realized my friends were just kind of giving me a load of poop so i did what was good for me and i'm glad you ladies are doing that for yourself and uh, keep going, and good luck, and it's a good message. But that being said, this is also another reason why we should support Trump, because this is Trump's message. Okay. Exactly. Trump, as you know, does not drink because he saw his brother you know, kill himself because of liquor. He's also a very religious man, and also a lot of the problems you're talking about with drugs is because we get fentanyl coming across the southern border, which is killing our kids, especially now with these new drug formulations. And by putting a border on the wall, it's going to reduce the amount of drugs coming to this country quite a bit, or at least slow it down. But right now, it's wide open, and you're seeing all this, the rot that's going on in our cities. Well, you know, you know, Jim, I don't agree with you about voting for Trump. He's going to be impeached, and he's going to get kicked out of office. Well, I'll bet you, how about a nice, uh, I'll bet you a nice steak dinner at Morton's. I don't eat, I don't eat beef. <laughs> I don't well, eat beef or pork. Uh, not beef alternatives. <laughs> He's not, that, he's, he's, not gonna, he's not going to be reelected, and he's not a good person, and well, you I'll know that. You, I'll make you bet on that, too. Uh, t- tell me this, Jim. This is Ken Hundley. I know you yes, mentioned sir. last week uh, when you called and you were going to the um, event that Trump held, and I, I think you— Yes, uh, and you know who was there? Our buddy Mace Jackson was there. 
Mage Jackson. You said the tickets was what twenty eight hundred? Uh, it was twenty eight hundred for the for the regular seating. Okay. Did you get a chance to meet Trump? Well, you can't in person. If you want to do the VIP, that's about thirty or forty grams. Jim, and, I, you know, it's, it's, it's always like I mean, when Obama had these big meet and greets. If you want to sit at the table, they were like thirty five, forty grand a couple, whatever. All the presents are like that. Okay, I, I tell you one thing. Listen, if if I pay twenty eight hundred dollars to attend an event, I'm going to meet the person that I look up to, and I know you look up to Trump a lot. Every right. time you call in, you mention Trump. What a great president he is! You know, um, yep. spending that kind of money, you should. You know, I know he has Secret Service, but listen, you should have got yourself you with Trump. Well, you know that that's, but you know, other presidents, it was the same thing. You know, but wow. that, but you, but but nobody's putting a gun to my head. I'm buying it on my own, knowing. The only thing that I didn't like about this whole event is when you go inside and they check you out and stuff. You got to put your phone in a pouch with a magnetic clip on it, so you can't use your phone while you're waiting for him to talk and during his speech. That's because he's been busted from saying stupid stuff. Jim, thanks for your call. Listen, I'll make you another dinner. He's not stupid at all. Yeah, right. Bye, Jim. (laughs) Thank you. Let's take Reverend Witherspoon, please. Reverend Witherspoon, are you there? Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. Happy Sunday to you. Thank you very much. And to your guests. Yeah, I grew up on the west side also. I grew up in in the Lindell area, my thing was alcohol, and, and, and I gave my life to the Lord. Also, uh, young man in my in my early twenties, and God saved me and filled me with the Holy Ghost. So I just want to ask the guest, how do I get the book? I like to buy one of her books. The book is on Amazon. It is titled "Who Said It Couldn't Be Done." Also, I don't know if you are on any of the social medias. You can reach out to me if you're on the social media of, of Facebook, no. and I can get the book to you. Or, well, you can, can I leave my number. I yeah, that that'd number. be great. I was going to suggest that, Jim. You know, you sound like you know you you weren't online as far as the social media platform, but yeah, we'd be happy to uh, get your information, and and Denise would contact you afterwards. So hold on, Patrick. Hold on. Well, but I want to ask you, how did you um, oh. become? Hello. How did you become sober? Reverend Witherspoon? Yeah, yeah I, so uh, God just saved me. I got tired. I, got sick. I was depressed and kept drinking and hanging with the wrong people. But in those days, it was mad dog. It was a mad, mad dog called that wine. It's called Shake and Bake White Pork. Oh, yeah. Like in Chicago in 1976. Oh, shake and bake. Oh, shake, shake and bake. bake. What is it? Shake and bake, and bake what? Shake and bake. White pork with Kool-Aid. I thought you were referring to chicken. Shake and bake. I thought you were shake and bake. I didn't know it was a drink. White pork and Kool-Aid. And also, God called me to be a, a, a call me into the ministry. I, I didn't want to accept the call, but I know there was something different about my life. Uh, and then God called me to be a minister. I started evangelizing all on the west side. Most people know me on the west side, but now I'm on the south side now. Okay. And so how long were you an alcoholic? Oh, for some years. At least, man, about 15 15 years. 15 years. Was this when you were... And how how young were you when you were an alcoholic? I was my queen. Queen one, queen two, queen three, queen four. What were you running from? I, I, I feel like did nobody love me. I feel like 
I was all alone, you know, and I was depressed. I, I just didn't know who I was. That's what it was. I didn't know who I was. I valued my worth to God over my spiritual eyes, my spiritual, my heart to receive Him. And I just been running for my life ever since. Wow. You know, so there is a. I was a good person. I was destroying myself. I was a good person. I was self destruct. Mm-hmm. So there sounds like a common denominator here uh, between uh, Mrs. Jones' mom and yourself, both saying you were looking for love. So you right. were drowning right. yourself in alcohol looking for love. Right. That way it was. Mm-hmm. And how long have you been so- sober, sir? Oh, man. This is going on. Very some years. Well, congratulations for that. Maybe that's what's Uh, wrong with our children out here, the ones who are killing and shooting. They are looking for love. And they're angry, too. A lot lot of people are angry. I had mother and father. I had good parents. My mother and father were married for six, four years. Wow. They were married for six, four years. They raised five children. I'm the youngest of five children. So how could you say you were looking for love and your parents were together? But I, 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 I still was. Just disobedience. When you're young, you go to disobedience. And that experience worked out for my good, though. With the devil meant for my bad, it worked out for my good. If I was all, all things were for God's good for those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. So you have to experience hardship to, to wake up. So, so, unlike so now, some... I got, now I got a testimony. Now I got to write my book. Right. Amen. That's and some, right. Sometimes people say you have to hit rock bottom before you you transform yourself, your mind. Right. And then you you hit rock bottom one day. Right. I see. Well, congratulations to you. But I think I thank you for this show. I always lift to you all, y'all, right, positive people, and and the woman God and her daughter. That's a great spectacular uh, guy. And she's going to write another book. That's not the only book she's going to write. She's going to write more books. Speaking into existence. And and Reverend Witherspoon, remember, don't hang up. Uh, Our engineer is going to get your information so that you can purchase the book from author Denise Jones. Thanks for for tuning in to On the Case. So, uh, Denise Jones, was it one thing that caused you to say, I'm not going to do this anymore? Did one thing happen to you? Well, even just like holding a conversation now or talking about pain, right? Even though my mom was there, but she was not physically my mother, right? She was my sister. So we began to get high together and, and just showing the domino effect of how things happen. It went from my mother to me and then my sister who was here in the studio as well, right? She followed in my footsteps. So she was using drugs. She was working the street. She was on the corners. So it was like a domino effect, and pretty much all of us probably would say the same thing. As I sat in that garage and I was shooting the dope, long before that happened, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired anyway because my body was full of abscess. I mean, I was big as a broomstick. My face was all bumped up, tore up, spotted up. I mean, I was in a bad shape running in and out of the penal institution, also being faced with 60 years in prison, right? So sitting in that in that garage, I was like, listen, I can't continue to live like this. I can't continue to go down like this. It has to be a way out. So hitting just about rock bottom 
what drove me to go and say, listen, I'm tired of this. I need to see where can I get some help from. And that's how that came about. So I was glad to walk inside those walls and be able to hear someone say, listen, you don't have to continue to live like this. You don't have to continue to do this. I was sick of laying with women. I was sick of shooting dope. I was sick of sticking up and robbing and burglarizing and snatching purses. I was sick of playing checks. I was kind of sick of doing all those different things, right? So it came to the point that that opportunity presented itself and reminded me to say, hey, your mother was out here doing all these things with you. You need to go get some help. Why? Because your sister is following in the same footsteps as you. So if two of you all can team up and get it together, you can pray and you can draw your sister in. And this is why we are working in a family today because God has restored and reunified the family. And it was all dealing with the pain. I remember laying in the windows, laying, looking up in the sky, saying, God, could you send my mother home? Because she was not there. Didn't know where my father was. Now, Denise, now, your experience in life, you know, as of now, uh, recently, you held up uh, an event at the DeSalle Museum. You turned your um, life experiences into a, a play, a stage play That's called right. A Diamond fr- from, from the Rough. That's, That's it. Yeah. Um, so just tell us about that. So, again, the play come from the book, Who Said It Couldn't Be Done, right? And it was a life story of my mother introducing her children into the lifestyle of drugs and crime and hanging out on the street. So that's what the book came about. Okay. And and the the play itself, you know, how um, I, I heard it was a sold out crowd at the DeSalvo Museum. What was the play about? And what was the name of the play? The play was A Diamond from the Rough. So okay. it's the subtitle of the book. The book is titled Who Said It Couldn't Be Done with the subtitle A Diamond from the Rough. And the play was what? Uh, a ta- uh, takeoff from the book or what? Yes, it was. I see. And where was the, where did it, uh, what was the performance? At the DuSable Museum. Okay. Yeah, Kent was telling me it was sold out. Yeah, That's yeah. great. It's, it's going to be in the 316 Magazine uh, November issue, which comes out this week. Right. The article about it. Right. And Keith is on line one. Keith, are you there? Oh, yes, I'm here. Hey, Keith, how are you? I'm doing good. I just want to let you know, next time Jim called about drugs coming across the border, yeah, they come across the port of entry on the border where law enforcement is stationed at. And the law enforcement is being paid to look the other way. Thank you for and saying come, that. And, and they're coming through with submarines, too. They just caught a bunch of uh, drugs coming through uh, in the water in submarines. They don't come across the border uh, where Jim talking about. They're coming through where law enforcement are at. That's true. And they're also coming in on trucks and uh, the Canadian border. So Correct. And That's airplanes right. and airplanes. Right. So he's focusing right. on that wall to divide be, the, the nation. That's it all. They'd be a fool to bring drugs to where the wall is at because that's where everybody's paying attention to. Mm-hmm. They're not paying attention <laughs> to Porter. <coughs> So, so Keith, have have you had an experience with drugs and and changed your life? Oh, um, if it was a brief thing, you know, just experiment with it for a day or two and moved on. My job won't let me uh, get hooked. I have to make money. Money comes first before drugs, you know. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's right. All right. Uh, no, I, I, okay. Well, thanks for tuning in to on the case. Okay. All right. So now, thanks for calling, Keith. Your sister. What is your name? What is your name? Hi, my name is Benici Simpson. Okay, and you were on drugs too. Yes, I was in that lifestyle of drugs. 
How young were you? I started off on drugs uh, at the age of 13 years old. 13 years old? Yes, 13 years old. What were you taking? I started off smoking um, marijuana, went to alcohol, escalated up to crack cocaine, uh, dropping pills, drinking syrup, uh, whatever it was out there to get me high. That's what I tried to do. What were you running from? Um, it all fall back. I was looking for love. Um, started off, like I said, watching my mom and my sister as I was growing up. I always said I never do that. I always, in my mind as a child, had a hate for drugs. But little did I know, I didn't have no power to not do those things. Um, so I did follow in those footsteps. I think I was... I can say I was on drugs for about 12 years. Um, I accepted the Lord in my life at the age of 24 years old. And I can say today I've been clean and sober from those drugs for uh, 30, 30 years now. Now, that's awesome. So you belong to the church, too? Yes, and I also am an evangelist also. Wow, that is awesome. So change is possible. Transformation is possible. Catherine... Seabrooks, you yes. are an acapella singer. Now, how long have you been singing? Um, I've been singing since I was five um, at my mom and dad's church, Greater Emmanuel Community Church. Um, uh, I used to sing before my father would preach, and I was always, uh, I guess they always called me the little girl with the big voice. And uh, I just, you know, love uh, singing about God. And uh, I started out being an acapella singer, Basically because people would say, well, you have the natural vibrato, so you can, you know, you can carry it off. So I enjoy that because then I can do whatever God wants to do with my voice and don't have to be, um, I guess, in a little square dealing with just the musicians, which I love the musicians, but sometimes you want to go there and they want to go in a different uh, direction. Um, right now I'm working on a show called Praise and Worship on the Beach. And this show is for the people that we can't get in church, that have given every excuse that they don't come to church because somebody said this or something happened this and they don't like this person and stuff. So I figure instead of waiting for them to come to church, we bring the church to them. That's right. That's how you do it. So uh, I'm looking for a television network uh, to come and partner with me to get this show on so that it can be in the United States. It can go all over the world. And it's just like, hey, we show up on a beach, and we start praising God with music. I'm looking for people that play the djembe or the, you know, the percussion uh, instruments, uh, the steel drums, you know, things like that. And we'll just be praising, singing, and dancing. And uh, I, the, the other part of the beach thing is, is that I want to uh, welcome people to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So we're at the beach. Let's do a baptism. So you're a PK. I'm a PK kid. Your father was a minister? My father was a minister. My mom is a minister now. My father has passed away. So I grew up in the church. And uh, I also went to Karis Bible College. And um, now I have a degree in biblical studies. And I'm also a minister, too. My ministry is music. So I'm a minister of music. So I just want to take it to the world through music and bring the church to them. That's I right. Love that. and, and she came by the office, Shanta, and I, I had a chance to got a chance to hear you, and I purchased a CD. 
and I have a CD. How can it's, we get it? Um, you can get the CD through my email address, rockstarangel006 at gmail.com. Say it again. Uh, rockstarangel006 at gmail.com. The CD is called Kathy Seabrook Sings Acapella Gospel. Uh, or you can get it by calling me at 757 710-7549 or 757-710-7549. All right, let's take Marvin on line one. Marvin, are you there? Yes, good afternoon, uh, Sister Strasburg. How are you? Okay, thank you for tuning in on the case. Well, I appreciate being able to. You know, it's a great role that the church can play. The churches need to have recovery programs. There is a vast degree of alcoholism, and then uh, we are trying to have uh, people that are related to and are married to alcoholics in a recovery program. Uh, the churches can provide that. In the Catholic Church, they do have those resources, but every church open in his name ought to have those resources. That's I true. wanted to make that comment, but what did you say? That's absolutely true. You know, my, my pastor is Father Michael Flager. I think everybody knows that, St. Sabina. And one day, one day he went out in the community with, with uh, his people, and he, because we had a problem uh, in Auburn Gresham at that time of prostitutes. These women were having sex all over the place. So he went out there, and he walked up to one prostitute, and he said, how much you you pay? And they looked at him because he was in collar, and they said, what? And so he said, how much do you get an hour for your services? I want to pay you for your services. They went, what? So basically what he did was he paid them, if they went to church, to listen to the word. And he got beaten up by so many African-American ministers for doing that. But ironically, after they beat them all up, some of them tried the same thing. So basically what I'm saying is well, that you're the right. Recovery, the victims of alcoholism and drug abuse primarily are related to our church members. They are our grandsons. They are our granddaughters. Yes. And in order to make this a community a more safer place and a more prosperous place, we need to address that issue as a, a community. And our churches need to be on the front line. There should not be a Thanksgiving go by that every church in his name ought to be giving away turkeys, turkey dinners or something, because these same people are starving, yes. and they're uh, looking for a way uh, to reach out and be re-rescued. That's true, but also Father, Fi Father Flager also had wraparound services, so many of the prostitutes are now working women, and they are very successful. So maybe... And that could be a model for other churches to use and not be reluctant to to go out in the street beyond the walls of the church and do God's work. Well, Father Flager is, I tell him quite oftenly and affectionately, he's one white boy that got it right. Now, if <laughs> most of these black preachers here under the sound of our voice would get it right, these are our children, get it right. These are our families, get it right. This is our city can that I, we're can, out can to I save. Uh, we would really transform uh, not just the community, and you know it. Can, can I make an interjection as one 
as an individual who was strung out on drugs. And part of the thing that I have learned and heard is we put it back off on the ministers within the church. But here's the thing. People are not preaching deliverance. If people were preaching deliverance, because you got to understand when people are prostituting, people are living a homosexual, lesbian lifestyle, involved in drugs, those things are learned behaviors, and they did not just wake up one day and say, this is what I'm going to do. What happens is it's all because of hurt, incest, abandonment, abuse, neglect. All those things have taken place, so they turn to other devices. Now, it's one thing to be able to sit, be in the church, and you can preach, and you can talk about it, but how many people are going to talk about deliverance? Because that's what needs to happen. you got to talk about deliverance. You have to talk about those issues of the incest, the molestation. What drove them to that factor? Well, anybody that's talking about Jesus, once you introduce the topic of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, we're talking about deliverance. Jesus died for our deliverance. Jesus was raised from the death for our deliverance. Jesus has come back from the grave for our deliverance, that we might be set free, that we might love again, that we might walk together, children, like brothers and sisters, that we might smile together like we are family. But no one, no one, and I'm speaking from personal experience, no one ever told me about the sins that had my life bound. I done been around and been in many churches. God has now ordained me and made me an evangelist. So I've been around. I I still work in the industry. I'm I'm around drug addictions. I go to NAs. I talk. I speak to churches, any place. But what I'm saying is I'm... The point that I'm making is deliverance is not being preached. Just because a person get up and talk about Jesus and they talk about for God so loved the world and all those different things, nobody is crying out on fornication. Nobody is crying out on the sins that have the people lives bound. People have to understand that. Again, I'm talking from personal experience. Had not the person been telling me about my sins that had my life bound, I didn't know nothing about repentance. They had to show me that my lifestyle was wrong. I had to be taught that. You go to the church, they got a bunch of praise dances going on. They got a bunch of hooping and howling and shouting going on. But who's telling people about their sin? Yes, we drive past the corners and see them out here prostituting, turning up alcohol bottles. But how many people are crying out on sin? This is what we're talking about, sin. Not somebody getting behind the pulpit. But when you get there, are you going to open up that book over in 1 Corinthians? No, ye not. That you should not, that the righteous cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Are we going to talk about that? The first thing he talk about, be not what? Fornicating. So we're talking about sin. That's what's going to set the people free. You know, what, I, what I'm getting here is that most of the problem is love. People don't have love. So when you don't have love, you reach out to other things. And she's right. You know, if we taught the word, if we taught the word in the Bible, it tells people the right and the wrong way to do things. What's going to happen if you do this and what's going to happen if you do that? So yes, we have to talk about deliverance. I think the open door is for people to know that God loves them. I told somebody, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven that the plans that God has you are good for you to prosper. He loves you. Plans of hope. And when I told that young man that, he said to me, I didn't even know that. A lot of people are going to church, not going to church. They don't know that God loves them. And that's a good thing. That's a good point that you're making because when you said let's take the take the message to the street, right? Mm-hmm. 
My sister Benicia and her husband, they are elders and evangelists, mm -hmm. right? They all up in Kankakee. They're taking a message to the street. Mm -hmm. They got the booming and the banging out there where they can hear the loud uh, noise making to draw the crowd exactly. in. Exactly. Most people don't want to go to church no more because they have turned it into a mockery. It's all about money, and they're having all these shows, but these people are coming and looking, how can I get my soul set free? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm in bad relationships. You know, my husband beat me. Domestic yes. violence. I'm exactly. homeless. You know, I'm prostitute. And I'm doing drugs, I'm doing alcohol. But if you just coming in there singing, oh, precious Lord, but ain't take my hand, take my hand, why? You haven't told me about how I can be set free. You ain't told me about my sins. So I come in and I'm going out the same way. You're baptizing folks who going down a dry devil, coming up a wet devil. They still going back to these unhealthy relationships. But see, because they have to be taught. Exactly. They have to be taught the word of God. Exactly. Not the watered down version, not your version. That's right. Exactly what God is That's saying. Right. And then break it down to them to give them examples of how that applies to their lives. Here and it, it is, Catherine. Uh, Denise Jones is that example. Mm -hmm. You know, folks get a chance to see Denise. And, and that's one of the reasons, as, as we talked before, Denise, why your play was such a hit. Yes. People actually cried. Mm -hmm. um, they left the building, um, you know, in tears yeah. after it's, seeing your play because it's real. And it's, a person like yourself in, in real life, they hire counselors like yourself because you experience that in, exactly. in real time. Exactly. And you, you make the best person to explain to people, not just explain it, but you lived it. Show them, and that's what people um, want want to experience in church. Honestly, and just so, uh, just to bring it back, as you said, with the play, right, and talking about the play, there were listen four hundred and twenty five people here, right, of all age, and if they are the on the interview. You'll see the CD coming out shortly, right, where they were coming back. We really appreciate that there was not a dry eye in the room. You had the older people saying, listen, we need to hear more of this. We need to see more of this. And they went out to say, listen, Tyler Perry, you got some good shows out there, but you have nothing on a diamond from the rough. A and, diamond from the rough is telling it in the rough. And, and Denise, and how long did it take you to write the book? I started writing that book in 1993. God did not allow that book to come forth until 2010. He said, listen, he said, I'm going to block this book until I finish scraping some of this stuff off you. He said, listen, if you want the world to see my works in me, I don't want them to see DJ. I don't want them to see Denise. I don't even want them to see the Dauphine. I don't want them to see the lesbian that you in. He said, I want them to see the work that, and, that and, I've done in your and, life. And what was the uh, process, you know, and who helped you um, put the play together, the stage play itself? Diamond from the rough. So Miss Jackie E had read. Uh, she did an adaptation from the book, right? Okay. And for the book to even come forth, I was asking the questions: How can I get? How can I change? Why am I like this? What's wrong with me? Why am I doing this? And God Himself began to deal with me in a dream. And when He began to show me, Denise, your life is messed up because of the incest and the abandonment and the neglect. I began to just write, mm -hmm. right? And then I met someone who took the book the pages that I had wrote, and began to edit the story. And a lot of the things that happened to me in my life, I didn't even know that my mother was truly aware of these things until she was interviewed. And that's what made this book come to, to flourishing, right? Okay. And when I gave the book to Miss Janet E., she read the book and she pulled out a lot of the critical pieces that was needed for this time today mm -hmm. of the things that are happening in the world. Mm -hmm. And it was just so amazing because I was like, God said, listen, Denise, I gave you to do this, and I'm going to send the people. And it was just so amazing to see 
all walks of life in the room. There were former lesbians, former home. I mean, let me let me back up. There was lesbians, homosexuals, drug addicts. It was all walks in the room. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you, not one person got up and walked out. There was not one dry tear mm-hmm. in the house. Not one. And then through the interviews mm-hmm. that people were getting up, saying how awesome and powerful the play was, mm-hmm. bring the play back. And that's what we're doing. We're working to bring the play back. That's she, great. So you mentioned incest. Were you a victim of incest too? Yes. By whom? By my grandfather. By my. So I've never been penetrated by them. So the part that happened with me, my grandfather would straddle me over his legs, sticking his tongue in my mouth, filling on my private part. My uncles would do the same thing, play high and go see, have me in the closets. My cousin ejaculated on my body. So the, all those things transpired. So as a child, how do you articulate that? At what age, Denise? This started about four years old. Did you tell anyone? No, I did not. And that's a portion in the play when you see all three. It started with my auntie, my mother, and myself. And if I'm if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this also happened to you, Benice. Am I correct? What the ancestors? Yes. 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 P- P- I want to say one thing, people in the radio world. If you're listening. I have a daughter myself. She's four years four years old, Denise. You have to um, protect your kids. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, that, that goes for family, friends. You have to be uh, vigilant in protecting your kids. You know, you have to keep a watchful eye. I mean, you know, literally. Yeah, I know. But yeah, let's, yeah. let's take Miss Lee on line four. Well, we're going to wait until our, our engineer comes back. Well, I didn't know how protect. let me just say this, I didn't know how protective my parents were, and I thought that they were overprotective. But now when I hear all these different things that are going on, they never let me um, spend the night over anybody's house. Um, that my father took me to school, picked me up from school. You know, they, they kept a... a, a good watch on me and they took me everywhere they went and their model was is that they wouldn't go anywhere that they couldn't take me and that's what i do yeah well you know exactly. with me it was sister eugene my teacher who uh told me that i would go to hell if if uh, i did anything bad my grandmother saint was pentecostal she sent the girls to catholic school those two strong denominations and religions really kept me uh, afraid to do anything. Let's go to line four. Miss Lee? Hello? Ms. Uh, you're on the air. Okay. I have a question. Um, um, who, who told you the first drugs that you took? The heroin. Well, which one? Which guess are you uh, referring the question uh, to? It could be either one of them. Denise? So my mother, my mother introduced me and who sold it to her? It was an African American, right? Who sold it to her? Yeah. So I can't tell you who sold it to her, but as she stated early on, that she was invo- she was connected with all the wrong people who introduced her to it. Okay. What I'm, what I'm the point that I'm trying to get to is that our brothers are supposed to look out for the women in the families. My brother died from drugs. The whole. It, when it came into the community, now the, these families were not dysfunctional families. I mean, like my mother and father were together till he was 50. We went to Catholic school and everything. A minister said once, when you look up to the wrong people, that's when you have a problem in your life. But the issue is this. Our black brothers are not supposed to be selling drugs to our, to our people. And they're supposed to be protecting our community. And they're not doing it. And that's the reason they'll 
with the drugs, you can try it one time and you can be hooked on it because it gets into your system and your body craves it. And so people go out and do everything to get it because they'll get sick if they stop. Tell how dangerous it is. And the, the issue that I have here right now is that we have got to get our brothers to understand their responsibility to our communities. Because the white is coming in on the boats and the planes and, and everywhere, but our brothers are selling it to our kids and our families. And that's the issue that I have that's a problem. And here's the problem, Ms. Lee, also. It's, the word is called greed. Greed would, would allow them to sell their mom if they could. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to a new car, house, the things mm-hmm. they want, deep in, in their heart, the greed is a powerful thing. It really is. So, you know, we could talk about our um, black brothers, sisters. The, um, the brothers is concerned about themselves. See, that's the problem right there. You know, we find individuals who care. There's very few in between for the ones who are just greedy, who wants the um, physical um, things in life, what they see on, on rap shows and videos. Right. Let's take Bernadette online, too. Oh, hi. Hi. I met, hello. I was glad to hear Denise Jones. I met her years ago, and she gave me a copy of her book. And I, I'm not sure what was going on at the time, but uh, I believe I was brought to uh, a group of people. It seems to me it was Farrah's Way, or um, a group of people were trying to help people in the community. And Denise Jones was one of the people, and her book was being uh, introduced, but uh, it seems as if you weren't being able, you weren't able to get it off the ground the way you wanted to. So it sounds like you're you accomplished that, and I'm so glad. And congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's why I thank Ken for having me on the show today so that we can continue to further the plan that God has to get this this book out, the play uh, to continue. My next goal is to work on the movie. So I thank you for remembering me. All right. So um, can you give us a quick wrap up? Um, sure. Uh, this is Kathleen Seabrooks. Remember, praise and worship on the beach. Uh, if you want to get my CD, Kathleen Seabrooks uh, sings acapella gospel. You can get it from Rockstar Angel zero zero six at gmail dot com or seven five seven seven one zero seven five four nine. And God bless you. And just know that God loves you. So do we. All right, and Miss Jones, quickly. Yes. So if you would like to uh, find me, you can find me on Amazon. Amazon. My book is on Amazon. Who said it couldn't be done? Also, you can connect with me on Facebook on the author Denise Jones. My phone number is 708-932-6417. I am a very open candidate as long as as well as my mom and my sister. So if there is any questions. You can reach me at 708-932-6417, and I am open to come and speak at any location that God will permit. And okay. I'm Jinka Strasburg, host of On the Case. Kent Hunley and I are Kent Hunley, our uh, co-host. co-host. I just want to say one thing, Shanta. D- Denise Jones will be on um, in our publication coming up on 316magazine.com, and I'll be heading to Pastor Felicia and Cobbs uh, at the World Palace Banquet. Right, and I'd like to thank our sponsor, Dr. Zenobia Sowell, located at 1122 North Clark Street. And you can call her for an appointment at 312-944-9355. Thank you, guests. Thank you, Kent Hunley. Thank you. And thank you for your...